0: remember kira bailey
1: of course how could i forget
0: how about corinne tan
1: sure obviously
0: so there's this new tradition that american girl is starting which is the last two years girl of the year they actually get to pick someone to be girl of the year and they unanimously decided that it's going to be us (gasps) So we're going to start by going out to Corinne's ski chalet, and then we're actually just going to piggyback and go out to the Australian Outback with Kira. Are you available for that?
1: I am tech avail. Yes, I'm ready. I have an active passport. I am ready to do this.
0: What's your accessory
1: going to be as like new like girl of the year inductee? Um, I will be speaking for, you know, seltzer lovers everywhere. I'm holding up my can of seltzer. This is not my preferred brand, which I won't name because they don't sponsor us. But that is my accessory. What about you? I
0: think I'm probably going to bring headphones because that's a lot of flying. (laughs) That is a lot of flying.
1: I'm scared. I can't take that on. Welcome, everyone, to Dolls of Our Lives. This is the podcast where we're reliving the American Girl series, book by book. I'm Mary.
0: I'm still Allison, who is actually not a Girl of the Year. I just wanted to clear that up in case there was any confusion.
1: Not Not yet. I would, I mean, I would love to be a Girl of the Year. I mean, I'm sure there are girls out there right now who are anxiously awaiting, looking up to a 36 years young woman who, you know, collects, toys. I'm holding up my, I have some of them up at Legos now, but, oh. um, on my desk, you know, I'm sure that's what everyone's shooting for these days. So why not us to quote Mindy Kaling? Why not us?
0: If Mindy Kaling can keep dream casting and I'm putting dream in italics and with a subtle question mark, young women, <sighs> and then young men who look like BJ Novak in the same story over and <sighs> over, no. I think we're allowed to speculate that we could be girl slash woman of the year someday. Oh,
1: my God. I would love that. You just made me think about that Katherine Hepburn movie, Woman of the Year too. I mean, why not us? Like, I mean, who's involved? Like, what influencers do we have to reach? Like, we already don't receive free American girl stuff. So I feel like we're pretty low on their influencer radar. I don't know. Maybe we're just, like, not doing the right kind of spawn
0: no i think there's kind of like an uncle hendrick moment coming to kind of you know rip from the pages of the headlines in the kit kidridge books and it's just not our moment but like maybe if we wrote a strongly worded letter we would get our way i mean
1: i would love that i i would love if we could somebody please suggest some text for an op-ed or a letter to the editor a letter to american girl that we could write to become girls of the year and i'm putting girls in quotes for us at this point, but. You know, I would I would think we would fall under their radar purview, maybe.
0: There is, of course, like much to discuss for us, as always with like Girl of the Year getting ready to drop. We also have a lot to talk about with changes for Kit. But speaking of the need to write a persuasive letter, what has been going on with Hallmark?
1: Allison, there has been a lot going on and I'm, I'm still processing this. So my parents love Hallmark movies during this time of year and frankly, all times of year. And I feel like it's a development of our generation that now Hallmark movies are just like so pervasive. And, you know, I did meet Candace Cameron Bray some months ago at 90s Con, as you may recall. And now I regret that there is a photo of us, even though I did not really speak to her. She did speak to Anna. I don't think she knew she was gay, so maybe she wouldn't have hindsight being 2020, but if she'd known. But you know, Candace has moved to GAC or great American family they've since rebranded because Hallmark, for those who don't know, once ran a Zola ad featuring two women getting married. and someone there was like, absolutely not on my watch. I'm taking this to somewhere else. And that person now runs a network called Great American Family, who is recruiting former stars away from Hallmark to make movies that will, for 100%, absolutely never feature anyone so dangerous as a queer person. So Candace took it upon herself to note that GAC, she's now one of their content strategists, which is terrifying, but she took it upon herself to say, we will will only feature traditional, putting that in scare quotes, families. So people were like, this is homophobic. JoJo Siwa's in the mix, of course. And then she put up this, like, many-slides Instagram apology that was like, I love everyone. Like, I don't care what race you are, what your orientation is, and, like, conveniently never addressed her homophobic comment because I don't think she regrets that. And they have no plans of doing that or, like, featuring truly everyone. So it just bled to a lot of drama online. So then Jody Sweet and AK Stephanie Tanner... Comments on JoJo Siwa's Instagram where she's like, Candace, you're homophobic. And she was like, JoJo, you know I love you. At which point, Candace stopped following Jody Sweeten oh. on Instagram. So, f- those of you holding up for a Fuller House reunion, not sure what the status of that right now. And then it just broke today, Allison, that Andrea, or like last night, it broke to me. This news was probably out there earlier. I have a cousin also named Andrea, with whom I went to 90s con. She sent me a DM and was like, here we go again. So Andrea Barber, who played Kimmy Gibbler, is debuting in her own GAC film. And everyone's like, Andrea, no. Like, you have a master's in women's studies. Like, you are supposed to be on the side of the angels. Like, what are you doing? What is she doing? I don't know, but I'm like, how are you part of this? Like, I think GAC is also functioning as a place that's luring away women who are aging out of being Mm. stars of romance movies. So I think that's part of it. But to knowingly participate in a brand that is avowedly homophobic, I'm sorry, you are making a choice and you are responsible for that choice. And so I'm just, I'm upset about this because it's also like, I've seen family members commenting on Candace's Instagram apology, and I'm putting that in scare quotes because there was no apology. She was like, the Wall Street Journal is trying to tear us apart. And it's like, no, they quoted you accurately. Enough. And my cousins are like, oh my God, Candace couldn't love you more. And it's like having to see people you're related to stand someone for being homophobic and doing the absolute least and not even apologizing. It just, it's hitting me and it's not feeling very good. But it's also hitting me at a time in my life where I'm actually reading like what I guess are called romance novels for the first time ever. And it's because there's more queer romance novels out there and somebody told me about some but I want to recommend one by Allison Corcoran called Her Once For Me. It's a queer holiday book and there are several other books that center Jewish characters. So it's not all just Christmas books either. So I want to like put that out there and I can share some other titles. I'm like very new to this so I'm still learning so people can feel free to suggest. But I'm at a place now where the world is so bleak that I have to escape at night before bed to something more pleasant. So this is what I've been reading. And just, you know, I want to just encourage everyone, like, the holidays are a really rough time of year, no matter what your situation is. So that's just something that's bringing me joy. And also, I just hope people continue to call out this homophobic crap because I'm really tired of it anyway. Allison, like, that's what's lighting me up right now. And, like, watching people call Andrea Barber out in the comments on Instagram, like, what is lighting you up right now?
0: I've loved, we received a cool voicemail this week or someone sang us a song. It was another mm. remix of Ace of Bass. I love when people Ooh. call us and leave us happy messages or interesting messages i also really enjoyed a film and i will call it a film entitled the lost city featuring channing tatum and sandra bullock of course and 10 minutes into this film you think to yourself there's no way they're going to make our sandy america sweetheart wear this magenta goodery jumpsuit the entire film and about an hour in you realize yes they actually might yep. so i think that's like definitely worth pursuing i've also been reading a few novels i really like been absolutely enjoying following along with Kit. I'm going to miss her. My one bright light is knowing that we have the Kit movie, which I have only ever seen a part of in an American Girl store, and it made me laugh. So I'm very excited. Very, very excited about that. Happy that we have all sorts of people who want to hang out with us through Patreon hangouts or to message us about things that they love. There's been some amazing American Girl TikTok activity lately, so All of those are good things. All of those are in a category separate from people who make their own homophobic movie networks. So, you know,
1: life is is not red and green or black and white, but those things are separate, so. I think those things are pretty clear, at least in a world of things that are And. You know, I loved that movie with Sandy. I love that you're on friendly terms with her. (laughs) And it does make me think, like, we're missing those rom-coms. Like, we really grew up in that age where it was, like, there were so many, like, even B or C-list rom-coms. Like, remember Win a Date with Tad Hamilton? Like, nobody thought that was amazing, but everybody watched it. Or, like, One Fine Day with George Clooney. Same picture. Great soundtrack. But, I mean, it's like, where have all those gone? Like, Sandra Bullock, like, what's up? I don't
0: know. I think that there is a perception maybe of there's, like, made for television or like made for streaming services, holiday or romantic films, and then there's like films that are made for the theater, and those tend to be more sort of like action-packed figures. I am partially excited about the Kit movie because I think it really transcended its moment, and it was kind of like some of these others where people didn't just think of it as an American girl movie, but really Mm. a movie, like a film. I'm, I'm sounding like Harry Styles now, but I'm really looking forward to that. (laughs) I also read in some reviews of Changes for Kit that much like this book, the film really kind of takes us on like a nice tight arc. And I'm looking forward to seeing that because this Kit content goes over two years. Like Valerie Mm. Tripp did it again where we're with one of her characters for actually a pretty long time. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they actually pull that off.
1: You know, I was kind of singing to myself earlier today some bars from Sean Diddy Combs' I'll Be Missing You, because, like, that's truly how I feel about Kit. Like, I'm very sad that this is coming to an end. I've so, so enjoyed it. Also, like, how did we as a culture let that song happen? But that's neither here nor there. But it's just sort of like, I'm really sad to be missing Val and to be missing Kit. Like, this has been such a delight of a series. Like, I just, I don't want it to end.
0: There are great things coming, but before we do that, should we should we do our coverage, our changes for Kit, book six?
1: Yes, I do want to do one shout-out to my cousin, yes. Hannah Ferguson, who sent me a very nice text and just let me know. She was like, I'm a Kit girly. I'm out here listening oh. to these episodes. She grew up with Kit, and I was like, I'm so jealous. Like, that was after my time, but I do want to say... You know it's so nice to hear from everybody but also like randomly from a relative it's like I don't really presume anyone I'm related to listens to this show so that was just very nice and also we imagined ourselves going to Australia and my other my sister-in-law Shifra is spending this month in Australia and had quite a time getting there so shout out to her um yeah but let's get into it I love it Hey everyone, this is Mary here, here to talk to you about truly one of our favorite sponsors, Uncommon Goods. If you haven't finished your holiday shopping yet, don't panic. We've got a secret source for incredible original gifts, and that's Uncommon Goods. UncommonGoods.com has the absolute best gifts for everyone in your life. We're talking moms, dads, teens, in-laws... Siblings, friends, coworkers, anyone on your holiday list. And it's not stuff you can just find anywhere. Uncommon Goods has unique and creative gifts, often handmade by independent artists and makers. So skip the gifts that scream last minute and find something truly original at uncommongoods.com. I've talked before about how much I love their therapy dough. It's kind of like a Play-Doh consistently that feels socially acceptable to have on your desk as a grown-up adult woman, speaking as someone who owns this. I highly recommend the lavender scent. I really love having this on my desk when I'm in a meeting or a Zoom call that definitely could have been an email. I'm constantly kind of sneaking that out outside of frame and using that to kind of get a quick moment of calm. I also recently got the breakfast tray for two, and I absolutely love this. There's nothing I love more than trying to take every meal I can in bed, because why not? I once read Edith Wharton, wrote all of her books in bed, and I'm not quite that productive, but I do love to particularly have breakfast in bed if I can. So this tray is really perfect because it has two interlocking parts. So you and your partner or friend or whoever can have say a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and a pastry and then take it in with some other food on this tray. It's really beautiful just to have in your home and I absolutely love it. Something else that I love about Uncommon Goods is that they give back $1 to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2.5 million to date. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash americangirlspod. That's uncommongoods.com slash americangirlspod for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary.
0: So this is our publisher's overview of book six, Changes for Kit. Cranky Uncle Hendrick has come to stay with the Kittredge family. Kit gets stuck running errands and writing letters for Uncle Hendrick almost every day. Soon his fiery letters to the newspaper and stinging words to Kit have her losing hope for better times. Then a visit to a soup kitchen inspires Kit to try and help the children who are homeless because of the depression. But how? It is Uncle Hendrick who unknowingly gives Kit a great idea and proves to her the importance of hope.
1: Wow. I mean, what came first, the Obama book or Kit, changes for Kit?
0: In terms of like capitalizing Who weaponized on the concept hope, of hope, first, yeah, exactly. Definitely, Kit. I want to say I was not expecting us to gain an Uncle Hendrick in the house and to lose an Aunt Millie, and at the very least, <sighs> yep. like. You know it has been said before it has been said by us and you know former guest and you know beloved listener emily where are the ledgers for this family's boarding house and where are the ledgers that break down the sister wives cody brown family financials those are two things those are two things that i want emily we discussed this in great detail back when we were covering the caroline books there are certain things. It's like, where is the truth about the Warren Commission? Where are the financials on how this family is making it through I'm, the depression? Will the Brown family ever build on Coyote Pass? I suspect no, not. I suspect probably. we'll get well, truth with none of these. Well,
1: Janelle, is living in the RV, and like, so she's technically there, but like, true. Is she? But it's not build? a build.
0: It's not a build.
1: <sighs> Remember when they just dreamed of all having their own kitchens? Yeah, remember those times? Such simpler do. times. You've raised a lot of powerful questions there. I mean, the Warren Commission, we have no time to get into that, but many questions. I just, I don't understand why Aunt Millie is not in this book at all. And it's not even like, oh, she went out to do errands, so she's not here for this scene, but she, she's like around in the way that Charlie gets sort of referenced. And it's like, oh, he's around, but he's just not here right now. She's gone. And there's a catch up of some other characters where it's like, oh, he's off doing this. She's doing that. There is no reference to where this woman is.
0: No, and I'm interested as always, you know, and again, we wouldn't have been so granular if we had read these as younger people. But because we have the perspective of we take several months to actually go through these books and kind of look back on them or read them for the first time thinking about what kind of timeline Kit has, right, and some of these other characters versus, you know, when we were reading Caroline, just as an example, how tight that was for the War of 1812. We're now into February of 1934, and we started two years ago with the Kittredges being in a very different position. I understand as an adult reader that she wanted us to get through, like, enough of the FDR being elected, him being inaugurated, and enough of his early administration to really be able to chart change. I think what I kind of walked away from this book with was feeling like Kit is one of the most interesting character transformations we've ever Mm -hmm. had, because I think the way that it's handled is one of the most sophisticated out of any that we've read.
1: I think that's true. Um, I really, really loved this series a lot, and I love this end book i do think it's interesting that it goes for two years and i wonder if in part that's so that val can kind of operate in this final book on the assumption that everyone and by that i mean uncle hendrick would have had ample evidence of how fdr differed from what came before in terms of the government's intervention in people's lives because that's what we learn he wants to sound off about and like there is this popular dissent to fdr and the much more interventionist vision he has for the federal government um, as we know it today. So I think that extended 10 line gives her enough leeway to be like, well, Uncle Hendrick would have seen a lot at this point to then sound off about but also for Kit to kind of understand or kind of to see her transformation across this time as well.
0: We should say, too, that a big part of this book, and it's talked about in the overview, but a way that this book really kind of plots along, it's fairly short. You know, like we got into some American Girl books that were long, like past 70 pages. We're back in the 50 to 60 page mark, which I think is a sweet spot for an American Girl book. And part of how we learn about the world is Kit is asked to do something that, again, is very much like Joe March. She's asked to sit and take a letter. She's asked to basically, like, sit and listen to Hendrick or read to Uncle Hendrick. And instead, she turns it into a kind of dialogue. Like, he has things that he wants to rant about and that he wants put into a letter to the editor. And he figures if he's going to have to hear Kit using her typewriter, he will have it to his own ends right like that she will do work for him and we use uncle hendrick in the book as a kind of way to understand like big political changes i thought that was so smart because it's been really well established by book six that the parents are just out straight with running the boarding house and it paints a kind of like beautiful picture that uncle hendrick has nothing to do except read the news and complain And so he's kind of like a perfect character for that time and our own time, because he's a great vehicle to explain policy, even if we're really led to disagree with how he interprets it.
1: Yeah, I think the dichotomy between their two worlds and those two characters is really powerful to kind of telling this story about kind of like, who is concerned about like, the role the government is playing in people's lives. And like, what what is the nature of their investment in that question? And I, I think the scene at the beginning of the book is really beautiful when everyone surprises Kit with a new winter coat made from her dad's former coat. And they then, again, all the kids are like, okay, I'm going down to the jungle to hand out like some extra clothes and a bag of potatoes. And they end up back at the soup kitchen. And that's when Kit sees like how many children are in the shelter and is really like heartened by that, especially the fact that their clothes and shoes are threadbare. And so that's kind of like a really nice interest moment arc because it's like, this is how the personal gets political. Like Kit just had a gift in her own life and sees that absence in other kids' lives and feels very gratitude for her own situation. And then it prepares her for thinking like, here's this huge need that's not being served. And I do think that that does set her up for Kind of I think another kind of question the book is exploring, whether or not Val is explicit on this, is like how do you help someone and not like engage in savior behavior? Like how do you help yourself in a way that you decenter yourself from the narrative? And I think that's also kind of a theme of the book.
0: One of the characters who helps us through that is Ruthie, because if we recall during the previous winter, so twenty two or sorry thirty two into thirty three, versus 1933 into 1934, the family was still really reeling from just losing a lot of their assets the previous summer. And Ruthie was still able to believe that the family might be able to afford an expensive day out and a new Christmas outfit for Kit. And there's this kind of shock when it comes to light that that's not true and that her father in particular knows their financial situation in some ways better than anyone because he's Mm -hmm. a banker who might take their house cut to the beginning of this book, where past Christmas. We That happens off screen. We don't know how that went down. And there's this beautiful moment where Ruthie and others are gathering around Kit, who's getting a repurposed hand-me-down, but she's thrilled about it because it suits her needs. It's something that she's looking for. And it's portrayed as being very different from the moment when Ruthie gives her a discarded dress that she doesn't want anymore. That's kind of just barely been refitted for Kit. And what's fascinating to me is there's no hesitation. There's no doubt. This is portrayed as a great thing. Millie is missing from this book, but her spirit is here. Like the ideas that Millie wanted Kit to learn have sunken in. And I think it would have been hilarious to see Millie and Hendrik playing off of each other, but maybe a little bit too corny, right? Maybe a little bit too much like foils. Kit has learned so much in the past two years. She's also learned from Charlie and kind of how he's come back off of his CCC experience. And I love that she kind of has to listen to Uncle Hendrick, but feels empowered enough to question him. And I think some of that does come from Millie.
1: I think that's definitely true. I think it's like she's gone through this apprenticeship and now here she is like fully formed. She has all these new skill sets. And, you know, I think she's very good at at feeling empathy for other people. Like, when she's going through the soup kitchen, it's like she's, we're watching all three of them, Sterling, Ruthie, and Kit empathize for these, everyone that they encounter there in a way that Hendrick is completely incapable of doing. And it's really interesting, like, we should say he gets, like, falls at home and he breaks his... I don't know, ankle and wrist or something. So that's what lands him in their house. And he just presumes, by the way, that the family is going to care for him. So it's interesting that he has a political position of like the government doesn't have isn't responsible for taking care of anyone. Like he's all about private aid or like personal responsibility. And yet he rejects that for himself or he just feels like his privilege should land him, of course, that these poor relations who he has not helped um should help him and they do that without question which is like an interesting also betrayal of that there's no moment of frustration when mom and dad get the news they head right out to go to the hospital to get him
0: and to your point he certainly has the means to hire a private nurse right so if this was purely a financial situation i think that you're spot on that he feels entitled to a certain kind of care for free especially from the mother right like he feels like that is something that he's entitled to and I like the way that it's flipped very subtly without kind of being like parents or uncles don't know anything. Kit has a real conversation with Hendrik, right? Like she doesn't just sit there and kind of roll her eyes. She tries to kind of process what he's saying. And instead of just, you know, taking the dictation, she's asking questions. She's kind of curious. And he's incredibly dismissive of what she does with writing a newspaper and calls it babyish. And I thought that was a really great moment because it helped for me to call out what Kit kind of sees as is going to be success for herself. And I was thinking about Substack and how today it's like the pinnacle of achievement might be having your own paper, it might be having your own kind of mini media outlet or system that you kind of produce. For Kit, legitimacy, as we learn in this book, is partially going to come from having her stuff published by someone else, which I think makes a, a lot of sense for the time period. But it's fascinating that Hendrick assumes she'll be kind of passive, she'll type for him, and in the course of doing this, she actually figures out like all the tools she needs to write a good letter to the editor. Like the summary says, he unknowingly teaches her how to do this by kind of barking orders at her. And I've loved that all the times that he's presumed one thing is happening, like when she was forced to do errands for him. Kit is always subverting it. She's getting what she needs out of the situation, which is almost always her own kind of advancement. And he stays kind of clueless as to all of that.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot going on with that that's really interesting. So first of all, like when you were saying that he makes fun of her for when she reveals like he bangs his cane on the ceiling to summon her downstairs when he hears her typewriter going to then like dictate one of his letters to the editor and when he she says like oh I was working on my newspaper he's like that's stupid like you're just doing something for no reason and it's interesting that he totally can understand that you would do do something for the joy of doing it or mm-hmm. like that she's she loves like telling stories and being a writer and she's de- like she sees the value in this, even if she's not being compensated for it directly. And he from him, it feels like a critique of passive use of time or things that are not productive, which is really like rich coming from a man whose wealth is probably based on passive income, like whether it's interest and investments or who knows what else so it's like he has this really insane like dissonance or just like lack of um understanding of how his own life contradicts a lot of what he's saying which is sort of like on brand for someone front with his position
0: he also doesn't come across as a caricature which is something i really appreciate like there's actually been a moment in a previous book and in this book where it's sort of like okay there's an update And so for the purpose of Kit's newspaper and her kind of family newsletter, there is a discussion as to whether she should include a photograph of him in the newsletter. And she's immediately dismissive of this idea because she only wants to photograph things that she cares about. And that immediately to me felt like Chekhov's camera. I thought, okay, we're going to come back to this for sure because we're learning something about her, which is that she thinks film is really precious, not just because it's expensive, but she only wants to document things she cares deeply about. So that idea gets thrown out, it's decided that Sterling will just draw him for the newsletter. To your point, she cares deeply that people within the house, the boarding house, understand what's happening with everyone else. We get this sense that Uncle Hendrick has totally isolated himself from other people, he doesn't have any community connections. And frankly, instead of going to the dinner table every night and like railing at these people, he only really has the courage to have a 10-year-old or 11-year-old girl write out letters for him. Like he actually doesn't even have the courage to really argue with people in person. Like you're saying, there's so much passivity there. He makes her actually create these documents. He makes her take them down to the newspaper so that his voice can be heard. And the one kind of benefit is that that's how Kit learns you have to sign a letter for it to be included. And that's like about as far as he's willing to go to really own these ideas as his.
1: Yeah, and I feel like there's a lot of modern day comparisons that you could sort of read into this of people who only feel empowered online in a comment section to say truly awful things or like really extreme opinions and i think that kit not only transcends that because she is willing to like show up and say things to someone's face and like you know own her opinions but what i also like in terms of her moderation is not even just her opinions but her willingness to be discerning and how she deals with him like they have this whole conversation she's hearing him fire off these like truly insane letters to the editor that are way over the top in being against FD- any fdr policy basically And she's listening to him, she's asking curious questions, but even as she clearly disagrees with his points about using an abandoned hospital, for example, as housing for unhoused people, um, she's able to say, look, to herself, I don't agree with anything this guy is saying, and yet I do think he's teaching me something about how to literally write a letter to the editor. Like, what is the format? And I thought that that showed some real maturity on her part, that she could distinguish between I hate everything this guy is saying and I'm gonna like take the parts that are useful for me and leave the rest. I don't know. I just thought that was really like sharp on her part.
0: One of our reviewers who I always read on Goodreads, Katie, who has done a reread of all of the books as part of listening to this show, she pointed out something that I thought was especially sharp and it's that other books such as the Felicity books really end with these kind of heavy-handed moments in the change book where someone says like, you're so grown up. Right. This happens with Mm. Molly as well, with the reunification with her father, which partially happens kind of off page. But there's clear moments where adults are validating and making an explicit statement, right? Like you have grown up, you have changed. And in this book, what seems to matter most is that Kit understands that she's changed and i tracked that kind of all throughout this book that things that would have been a major plot point in a previous kit book we now kind of come to understand as par for the course because she has understood so clearly that life is just different right that life is not the same as it can be when she decides to trek out and to try to do a donation of food and clothing to the place that they're calling the jungle, she's able to put things together very quickly that that circumstance has changed. And one of the quick connections that she makes is, well, if there aren't poor unhoused children here, They still have to be somewhere because as she's learning with her conflict with Uncle Hendrick, there's no miracle. There hasn't been a miracle fix. You know, FDR is not just taking over public housing. So where are these people? And that's what leads her to go to the soup kitchen. Such a kind of smart pivot. And I think she comes across in some ways to me, there was a sadness I felt at the end of this book that she is so much her because Mm -hmm. one of the first things we learn as a kind of teaser into the future is that she would have turned 18 at about the start of World War II. And I think that's such a smart connection to make first, but also you think, like, this is not going to get better for a long time.
1: Right, and I think that that's that's a huge historical question to which there is no clear answer, which is what ultimately ended the Great Depression. Like, to think about the fact that literally her entire childhood is defined by the Great Depression. She's 18 years old when World War II breaks out. Now, some people would say the thing that ultimately ended it is World War II and this uptick in war production and all these things. That's also been disputed. I don't. I am not an economic historian, full disclosure, as you know. I don't have a clear answer to this. But I mean, thinking about just how, like, this is your entire life. Like, that is mind-blowing for me to sit with and to like, really, as you say, it is a sadness. It is almost an end of her childhood in a certain way, emotionally for her to have to truly accept and grieve. This is, this is not going to end anytime soon. Hey everyone. This is Mary here to talk to you about HelloFresh help with HelloFresh. You get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. I love to think about things that I can look forward to when we're in this season, when it's frankly not a lot of sunlight outside, when I get out of work, and being able to come home knowing that I get to kind of try out one of these recipes with my wife is something that genuinely just sparks joy, to quote Marie Kondo. I also love to think about, you know, what menus I would make for friends or imagining making them for the American girls or even stars of some of my favorite Christmas movies. So what am I going to make for Rosemary Clooney in White Christmas, for the icon Queen Legend Miss Peggy in Muppets Christmas Carol, to me, the iconic adaptation, and any holiday movie that you like, you might want to play that game yourself. It's also really good to think about the fact that HelloFresh is 25% less expensive than takeout, which I know is something that's very tempting in this season of having to both you know, work, do life things, and also get ready for the holidays. So there's a lot of demands on all of our time. In particular, I really want to flex and recommend the black bean burrito. That's my favorite recipe I've tried so far. It's So, so good. We've also made burgers with mushrooms that were excellent. So there's so many different recipes to try and kind of keep making. I love returning to things that I know that I'm going to love. So if you want to give it a shot yourself, go to hellofresh.com slash American girls 18 and use code American girls 18 for 18 free meals plus free shipping. Again, that's hellofresh.com slash americangirls18 and use code americangirls18 for 18 free meals plus free shipping.
0: It's so interesting because I read this book and right before we did this recording, I had to go to the bank. And of course, spent part of, you know, earlier today, like researching, so how does banking change during the Great Depression? Because part of what Uncle Hendrick is railing against is FDR's NRA, which is not the National Rifle Association, but is this massive recovery administration that really like pulls a lot of levers to dramatically change the way business and workplaces are conducted And while i was at the bank i had to do some business and the woman made kind of a side comment to me she said well you know i know that prices are up and you know inflation is really bad but i think we're all getting a lot smarter with money and i think things are better and i kind of couldn't help myself i was like i don't like i'm actually just spending a lot more money on things i don't want to spend money on and I've always been pretty frugal. I've always had a pretty good sense of what things cost. And she said, well, you know, I just mean like, I think we're all being better about money. It was like, no, we're actually being like exploited. So a few companies can, I did not say this, but a few companies can do better. Like things have changed within the market, but they have not really generally changed to help ordinary people. And at the first hint of a discomforting conversation about people not having enough to get by or people like living in poorer conditions because of inflation and the economy it was like well but we're all better off i was like i actually just don't think that we are i don't yeah (laughs) and i
1: i think that her comment too is really revealing about how um, manipulative capitalism is that she's like we're all getting better at managing money like she's assigning so much responsibility for how things are financially to individual actors and they're like seemingly like from nowhere knowledge on how to manage your finances when it's like like, you know, corporations don't really have to worry about that. Like, they get bailed out left, right, and center. I mean, not for nothing, but I'm just saying there's so much shame that comes in this book when Hendrick is like, all the hobos are, like, assumes every hobo is a man who is too lazy yes. to work. And that's what really sets Kit off in their first conversation, because she's like, you're wrong, and is like, actually, I just saw whole families with small children this summer. And, like, she has seen that that is not the case, but it's so easy for him to just believe this narrative that people's financial situation is based on their lack of personal responsibility. Like had only if they'd understood how to manage their finances better, maybe they wouldn't be hobos like to the, you know, the employee you dealt with today's it's a kind of assumption based on like stemming her comment, which you rightly were like, no, that's not what's happened here. But I think like that's when I was reading that I was like, oh my God, this is like a 2022 moment showing up in changes for Kit. This book really does such a wonderful job of showing
0: how aware Kit has had to become of the world around her. And I think to your point, it's like, well, how much would Uncle Hendrick would have really known about these changing policies? Like like how much was clear to people on the ground It would be fascinating to know where his money comes from he's kind of reminding me of that man who was grand mary's boyfriend in the samantha books like i feel like they're all getting like checks from the same fund oh well wasn't that guy a captain or something was he in the navy former captain
1: former captain retired
0: former captain like current dot 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 fair uncle is not a real title like what yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like what
1: are can we can say I don't know that that term may not after? come up in an American Girl book unclear
0: I also want to give like props to Val like Val knows how to paint a seasonal scene better than anyone and you think like based on how other authors have conducted themselves they're like maybe you'll get one winter when you think back like I think Valerie was so hot on the way she painted a snow scene in the Felicity mm-hmm. book she's like you're gonna get two winters and she's like subtlety be darned this winter is going to be one of the coldest on record because I learned that about a Cincinnati like fact book so that is going to be pushed into this narrative it's going to heighten the stakes and it's going to make it so that Kit upon receiving a jacket isn't content just to have that but wants to make sure that people have things she doesn't need anymore these books at so many points have reminded me of why these are so much better than Charles Dickens. If you're, like, a Dickens head, I'm sorry, but so many of those books are overwrought because they're from a different time period. That doesn't mean that they are fundamentally bad. It's just not a style that I like. These books carry a subtlety with them
1: that, like, Dickens could never... I mean, I do think that the Kit arc does scream a Christmas carol in some ways, like, in terms of the kind of transformation she has, like, she goes from in book one being kind of like, oh my god, like, things seem to be changing, then it's like, oh god, things have changed, I hate this, why is this happening, then Aunt Millie kind of enters the fray as, like, instead of getting three ghosts in the night, you get an Aunt Millie, great. And now in this book, she's like, whoa, I feel so grateful having been at the soup kitchen and seeing all the kids who don't have the limited privilege that she has. And you're like, whoa, she's really come like full circle here. I agree with you. I mean, it's like the only Dickens adaptation I will acknowledge is Muppet Christmas Carol, which to me is perfect. (laughs) Like I won't hear any aspersions on the Muppets, but it's also interesting that like all of his novels were mainly published in serial form. So he was constantly having to like hype up his own drama in like a few pages And then keep moving on. So reading it all collected together is like too much. It's like overkill. Like Ryan Murphy would be like, Whoa, this is over the top. So I mean, I'm with you. And it's just it is amazing to see how the transformation happens in this book. I do think it's one of the most like clearly defined. Agreeing with Katie. She
0: is also just, I think, one of the best characters to follow. I think people can see a lot of different things in her. I think it's also telling, I was like reminiscing about the evolution of the parody accounts that have all been inspired by Kit and the fact Mm. that like part of what really launched that was this idea of Kit sitting and reading Karl Marx, which I think (laughs) would happen. I like to imagine a lot of different futures for Kit, one of which is like being highly radicalized. I like that Valerie Tripp like did her research about the WPA, different kinds of programs that were coming out at this time. And also, just invented a path for Kit where she gets to be creative and uses the power of her camera, right? Like, Kit would yes. not have known who Dorothea Lang was. Dorothea Lang took a lot of portraits, including Migrant Mother, that are very famous of this period. Kit, like, doesn't need that inspo. She just does it. She just intuitively understands that photographs will make an impact. And I think part of what's so valuable about having to kind of sit through her conversations and like debates in some ways with Hendrick is her realization and breakthrough that he literally doesn't understand. He actually doesn't have a frame of reference because his world is so limited. He's never seen the hobo camp that she's seen and that sense for her that pictures might make a difference. We ended the previous book with her saying, like, somebody should do something and maybe that somebody is me. Yeah. I love that this book does not pick up, like, the next day and kids like, yep, and I realized it's me taking pictures. Felicity Merriman, yes. like, senses that a revolution is underway and she's like, I will participate in the plot and put the lives of enslaved people at danger. Kit has this like amazing greater sense of, of context and propriety and like not putting people's lives at risk. Like there's some major development here.
1: Yes, there is major development here. I do want to kind of talk about, like, the method that she chose because you talked about photography and, like, the idea of a letter to the editor and, like, I'm really interested in, like, the history of, like, media and news and whatever, like, from my history of the book days, so I kind of want to just get into that for a sec. Like, there are two books I want to shout out that are really interesting. One is called by Tammy Gordon, a public historian. It's called The Mass Production of Memory, Travel and Personal Archiving in the Age of Kodak. And it's a really, really good book that kind of, she's looking at how cheaply available cameras in the 20th century changed how people like fashion themselves on film. So it's a lot of like, you can kind of imagine Kit in this, like she gets a camera. Originally in this book she's dreaming of using it to take pictures of people who matter to her as you said before and a picture of herself up against a wall at the airport to mimic her hero Amelia Earhart never forget her hero and by the end she's using it to profile the kids in the in the soup kitchen and what I really liked about Val is that when she has that brainstorm she also has with it that consent would be really important here and I think this gets back to like keeping her from being a Karen and keeping her kit Instead of a Karen. So she gets consent from the parents and the kids, and Sterling, it's like they all come together. Ruthie and Sterling all use their strengths to like pose the kids, let them know what this is for. And then she writes the letter to the editor, and it's like this is just such a beautiful, like, teamwork moment. But I think it it feels like it's not exploitive because she's so clear on like what the action is. Like, she wants the outcome to be that they get this stuff that they desperately need. And I thought that was really beautiful. And the other book I'll mention on this is called out by Alison Landberg, The Transformation of American Remembrance in the Age of Mass Culture. And she coined this term called prosthetic memory. And so she's talking about something different, but she's talking about like, if you go to a museum and you see films or TV and about historical moments that you were not a part of, images can give you this sense of empathy for people whose lives are very different from your own. So you can kind of imagine how Kit, unknowingly at like 10, is also wading into this, like she's a very empathetic person. And by taking pictures and adding them to her op-ed, she's also inviting the people who look at this newspaper, maybe Uncle Hendrick and others who literally seem to not understand this, can also empathize with people whose lives are very different from their own. So I think that that was a really important piece. Um, also, just like as a stat, the this book is, when 1935? We are now in early
0: 1934.
1: Um, Oh, okay. Well, okay, we're two years away from this. But 1936 is the first edition of the Green Book. Like, you have all of these things starting to use photography or, like, mass media to kind of make public people's histories that are not even what Kodak ads look like. If you look at a Kodak ad, they're imagining the people using them in this period look like Kit, like white middle class Mm -hmm. or formerly middle class families. But this book by, um, which I really, really liked, um, Tammy Gordon's book, it opens with her talking about Polly Murray, um, who, like, they used photos to, like, literally capture, like, early selfies of them and, like, different forms of their identity. And I don't know, just really interesting book if you want to check that out. But the thing that I found that was most interesting was, like, actual, I wondered if kids, other kids wrote op-eds in this period, too. Like, what is Val kind of basing this on? And there's a great project, it's actually collected in a book edited by Robert Cohen, Dear Mrs. Roosevelt, The Letters from Children of the Great Depression. Some Brave Hero put an excerpt of these online, I'm not going to say who this was, but this is for the Yonkers Public Schools. And um, the thing we're looking at, if you Google it, you'll find it. And there's really great transcripts of some of the letters, and I just want to read a brief one because you can kind of see how these letters sound a lot like what Kit wrote. Um, which is basically saying, like, you should absolutely use the hospital for unhoused people and kids need, there are kids living in these situations and they really need clothes and shoes. So there's one from 1936 that from someone in Arkansas who only signs Miss LH. Dear Mrs. Roosevelt, I'm writing to you for some of your old soil dresses if you have any, as I am a poor girl who has to stay out of school. On account of dresses and slips and a coat, I am in the seventh grade, but I have to stay out of school because I have no books or clothes to wear. I am in need of dresses and slips and a coat very bad. If you have any soiled clothes that you don't want to wear, I would be very glad to get them. But please do not let the newspaper reporters get a hold of this in any way, and I will keep it from getting out here so there will be no one else to get a hold of it. But do not let my name get out in the paper. I am 13 years old. Yours truly, Miss LH." So I thought that was an interesting comparison because you hear her asking for material things, like she needs literally, I will take your soiled clothes so I can go to school, but also this like real shame that comes in at the end and a request for privacy. And I think that that's a really important difference. Like if you scroll and look at the other letters, almost everyone asks for the same thing, like please don't let newspaper men get this. So kids embrace of newspapers and also this idea Uncle Henrik taught her of like you have to sign your name, which she willingly does. I think is an important kind of comparison here about you know the kids in this actual historical moment and kit kind of reporting on this kind of phenomenon or this major issue
0: if you recall too like a formative moment for kit is the realization that her friend has to walk with her a certain way so that when she goes to the movies you can't see that her dress is tattered absolutely and when she receives a newer dress from ruthie and ruthie believes that she's doing a good thing and a helpful thing That's a real moment of shame and conflict for Kit because she doesn't want to receive that from her friend. She doesn't want Mm. that dynamic to change between them. Like, even when they're sharing popcorn at the movies, she's happy to take, I think it's like a handful, but then doesn't want to be literally seen as getting a handout from someone she's very close with. Something that I think is like really a remarkable achievement is the Library of Congress has put so many photographs from this period on the Internet and something I'm really struck by, obviously, our society is very different than it was 100 years ago or 90 years ago during Kit's lifetime. But, you know, comprehensive projects that seek to like understand our country, you know, things like the FSA, which is what hired Dorothea Lang to take photos and to go out to the Dust Bowl, the Works Progress Administration, the flawed slave narratives that were captured all of these big kinds of projects, you know, there is coming up an anniversary that I think people are not excited to celebrate. Obviously, the 250th for the United States, I'm Mm -hmm. not suggesting that we celebrate. I am noticing such a huge difference between the way there was money and movement to document the country for the bicentennial versus Mm -hmm. now and we lose out every time we don't have good documentation. When under the previous administration, they cut the census short, that was deliberate. Because when we know better who lives in this country, we have a better sense of things that need to get done. So it's like every time there is not a mass movement to gather information and to document, we all lose out.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, to your point, like as part of that big project, there was this impulse that the history mattered, like documenting people living now for historians, for, or like under, allowing people to make things that reflected the culture as it was, even if it wasn't purely laudatory of the government, like that was all worth funding. That's what the New Deal in part fund or the WPA. What's interesting, too, about these letters and and things generally is, like, there was such trust in Eleanor Roosevelt, and, you know, some people did write critical things, like somebody said, I ask for your sympathy, um, though I little expect it because you've never been deprived of the things of life by a stubborn depression that is taking its own sweet time about saying adios, like a teen from Minnesota wrote that to Eleanor Roosevelt. So there's criticism, but there's a lot of people who are like, thank you for caring about poor people. Like, I know Mm -hmm. that you've been traveling, like Eleanor Roosevelt obviously traveled all over the country and like saw different people from all walks of life. There was such trust that at least like the people at the top were intending or at least wanted to know what was going on with the people, you know, across the country. And I think if you had letters from kids now, I really wonder what they would say. Like, is that faith in government there? Or like the kind of like, you know, presumption of goodwill?
0: I don't know. Well, the intimacy of listening to the Roosevelt's and, you know, starting with FDR and the fireside chats on the radio, I don't know that for children who are growing up now, right? Like, The immediacy of that intimacy, if the first time you had a radio in your home and that was a special thing and you got to hear directly from the president, today we're so oversaturated and we're so overexposed. It was interesting to me and I could be mistaken. I think that this peek into the past is the first time that Roosevelt's inability to walk is really clocked as something significant and the fact that that was kept as a secret. And I'm thinking of the way that I think there's obviously a lot going on with that, right? Like a lot of internalized shame about disability. But the way that reporters agreed to hide certain things at the request of the administration. I was watching a series of TikToks yesterday of Kamala Harris talking about Venn diagrams. I think there is just like okay. such a fundamental.
1: <laughs> she, I haven't seen those. Thing. I don't know what it is.
0: Okay, so she loves Venn diagrams, and this was partially spurred by her singing wheels on the bus, kind of in a context where it wasn't needed and probably not appropriate.
1: And it got
0: me down this rabbit hole of she loves to talk about how she loves Venn diagrams. And sometimes what she's describing is like not really a Venn diagram, so it's sort of strange, but she does this characteristic laugh and she'll say, I love Venn diagrams when explaining things that connect (laughs) with each other the relationship between the media even if you go from like Roosevelt to you know the era of Kennedy and like hiding his illness to today like there has been such a fundamental shift where like the way that Trump tried to garner intimacy with his voters and his citizens was by saying like I run my own Twitter account like whether you like the content or not like I sit in bed and I tweet to you with a cheeseburger in one hand and my phone in another like You have to go so out of your way today to control your media. I think those letters do reveal the fact that people felt a new kind of intimacy I don't know what else these people could share with us to compete with that like we know way too much already
1: yeah I mean I think it's interesting because like Trump was like I'm co- communicating with you directly and yet at the same time was like fighting vociferously to like protect his tax returns coming out so yeah. it's like I'm willing to be vulnerable but not but only in a, an extremely controlled way and I think like he was requesting people to communicate with him in that way and I think that as you're saying, that's what people want. Like a feeling of someone in power saying, I want to talk, I want you to talk to me. And that's what Eleanor Roosevelt would say in interviews. She would say, I want you to write for, write to me. I want to hear from you. And she got a hundred thousand pieces of mail in her first year as first lady. So, I mean, what it's interesting is like, you don't see what these kids get back. Like, that's what I wanted to know. Like, is there some kind of like standard letter that goes out or... I don't know. I mean, one of the kids also wrote, like, can you pay for me to go to Hollywood because I want to be a star? And I think I could do it. (laughs) And then that could help me pay for my mom's medical expenses. So it's kind of, like, sweet and delusional at the same time. Um, But yeah, it is is interesting.
0: They had ways, right? Like, I think today people might invite a president or a powerful person to say their weddings as a joke, right? With the hope that, like, maybe they'll get a present or they invite, you know, Bill Gates or whatever. But thinking about, like you know going to the National Archives and reading through the Bureau of Home Economics they would keep a percent of a percent of the mail that they received Mm. and I believe the 1930s was an all-time high partially because of like limits of technology and partially because of like pure need and people with, with at least the archive that they kept they don't have the kind of modesty or false modesty in some cases that you're seeing in those letters it was like this is what I need help me now write back to me right A very different kind of relationship obviously because one is writing to a specific kind of expert one is writing to the first lady but I think the entire culture of postal correspondence and getting answers and like getting direct support that you need so different um and i would be curious how much is kept in the archives at the hyde park site you know the the roosevelt library like how much do they actually have of replies i don't know but bureau of home economics kept copies of replies
1: interesting so
0: i got to read both sides
1: Ooh, that's cool yeah i always want to read both sides like if there's letters collected letters by somebody i'm always like okay but do we have responses because that's what i need
0: Yeah, and if people are curious about that, we did a Patreon episode some months ago now about the children who've written to Dear Highlights, and that's like a 50-year-old archive of children's questions and like what they were looking to get out of a response to someone. I feel like today when people write to someone powerful on the internet, it's an exercise in performance, not an actual note to that person.
1: Yeah, there was like a whole internet trend a couple months ago of like people being like, I'm inviting Taylor Swift to my wedding, like knowing she was not going to attend your wedding. But I think like hoping for like performing that to be like, look, what a huge stan I am. And you know, like go off if that's your thing. But like, I kind of like to your point, it's like, is male performative now? Like, are the messages that we send performative and lacking any real substance? Is the measure of people's faith or lack thereof in government or willing to contact anyone involved in it? Like, has anyone listening to the show ever written to their congressman, their senator, or town council member? (laughs) Yeah.
0: You have
1: have recently, or just like in general?
0: I have, and uh, very recently. So, uh, I have talked with a neighbor about an issue that we think needs to be addressed, and it resulted to letters to people at multiple levels of uh, state and local government. I also receive letters from people at work. So I am currently delinquent on a letter I need to return to a child. People write to park rangers all the time as school projects. And that's something I do at my job. I write them back and I put a package together and I, I send them mail. And I've actually seen TikToks of like, you know, here are letters kids got back from park rangers. And I'll just say this, like some places have very different budgets than my park and what they send them. Oh, so really? every child gets a personalized letter from me. I actually sit and I write it and I think about they mostly ask me about wildlife. And I think that my letter is probably like the most boring one of any child in the classroom because I'm like, we have a lot of raccoons. Um, so I try to make it as that's interesting wildlife. as possible, but I do I do send them letters, and I think it's cool to see a handwritten letter from a kid who went to all that effort, like to ask. So that that's like a weekly totally. thing.
1: That's very sweet. Um, yeah, I think you know, I think keeping up those lines of communication are, are important, and I I think she inspired me in a way. And I said to you before we started recording, I wanted to kind of give a shout out to a nonprofit that. Our friend Amy Lizelle, um made us aware of and it's called Open the Open Ed Project and it was founded in 2009 when at that time the statistics were 80 to 90 percent of all op-eds were written by men and so in um, to update that statistic in 2019 the New York Times posted a history of their own opinion page and said that women accounted for by their account less than a third of all contributors so even though they assess them without like regard to anyone's gender like this is how it breaks down just because that's the submission rates are so overwhelmingly in favor of men so this project is about educating people open ed project to um write op-eds about things that you care passionately about and kind of channel kit in your own life and i do think that that could be a really fun challenge for all of us like putting ourselves out there, working through like the gendered imposter syndrome, but also, you know, being willing to speak out about things that we care about. I heard that there's like something they're calling the arc uh, mentality, which is like people are like, if things are just this bad, what could me doing something really do to change the calculus? So people are just like not doing anything. I'm not sure that's the answer, although I do understand feeling that way sometimes, but this could be like a small thing you do in your life to kind of I don't know, just influence your community. I think KID is such a great model of like mutual aid and like actually being involved in the place that you live. So that's at theopenedproject.org if you're interested.
0: KID also begs the question of like why some adults are not doing more maybe Mm -hmm. than they are. But something I love about this book is we kind of understand better, I think, than in other American Girl books that feature a wide range of adults, like, why people are behaving a certain way and we understand how overwhelmed her parents are and that Aunt Millie is, like, doing the absolute best that she can. I am, like, worried for Aunt Millie because she cashed yes. out her life savings. She doesn't have a job anymore and now she's missing and I guess we're just supposed
1: to, like, not ask any questions. Val's really good at just sort of, like, suggesting a major character has... You know a history a story and you know with tia dolores it was like i think that we all could guess her history like that wasn't yeah. that well hidden but with Aunt millie it's like her future is what's hidden from us where is she going what happens to her i mean when we tell you she's not in this book she is not in this book
0: She's not in this book, and I think that will disappoint. My sister-in-law listens to this show and has loved the kit coverage and was, like, very much feeling Aunt Millie as a character and has requested an Aunt Millie doll for Christmas. I'm not sure I can make that happen, but I love the passion. I love the idea. I also know that Millie would, like, maybe not want me to, like, spend money on like trying to make an Aunt Millie doll, but I still like the concept. She's gone. Like Tia Dolores still lives and Aunt Millie is gone. Like
1: what is she involved in? Like that's what I want to know. What is she involved in? What is happening here? It's
0: (laughs) it's like, like, is Erin Lee Carr available? (laughs) Like we call up Erin Lee Carr. We write a letter to the editor. Oh my god. I will say I did write a letter to the editor when I was a college student.
1: Oh my god. So what about,
0: what about? So it was actually uh, to our school paper where we attended college and it was about a series of, I'm going to use the word jokes, but they were not jokes. There were several jokes published in the paper that didn't just perpetuate rape culture. They were jokes about uh, pills that you would give people to, <sighs> and it was jokes about right. rapies. And I wrote a letter about that and was very upset and just felt as though it had no place in our culture or in our printed letter and i think part of it you know part of why i think kit is like a really interesting role model and you reread the first page of this book and she says sort of like something wonderful might happen and the book ends with her fixating on the word promise what i love about these books especially is these are not fantasy books they are grounded in the real world and wonderful things happen and promises are fulfilled because Kit makes them happen. And I do think there's that very tangible lesson of you don't need to be a Pollyanna. You don't need to be unrealistic. I felt like something should be said. And so I said it. And it doesn't mean that you have to do everything yourself. But if no one says anything, it goes on as if that was acceptable so I like that about Kit. I think that's one of the, like, real takeaways of this book. Um, you know, we can't all be Al Gore inventing the internet, but damn, we wish. can do something.
1: <laughs> I mean, I want to say, like, something I really, like, to your point, really loved about this series overall, and then, like, something I did not like about Peek Into the Past. Um, so overall, I would say, I'm going to put this out there, Kit is my now number two all-time favorite American girl. <sighs> She jumped right to the almost top. Molly's still my forever number one because it's emotional, and I don't have much control over that. However, I will say to what you just said about kind of the power of this story, Kid goes on a journey that's about more than just her. And I yes. think to me, that's a game changer. When we think about Molly, no offense, Molly, you know we love you girl, I'm looking <laughs> at my little Molly doll here. I mean, Molly's on a journey with herself. Like, her triumph is like that she tap dances at the end. Again, no offense. And as a Leo, it's like, I understand needing to be the center of your own narrative sometimes. We've all been there. But your life is so much more enriched once you understand and make it about more than just you. And I think Kit really gets that. And at the end of it, she's like really stepping outside of herself to say something And to take, put herself out there, be vulnerable, and be hopeful on behalf of other people. And I think that that's really beautiful. Do I wish that she had, these are my two nitpicks with this book, and please accept the compliment I just gave, it's very sincere, this doesn't upend that. I do wish she had been willing to reference her family's own experience or her own experience in her op-ed. She wrote kind of an abstract way about other children who, admittedly, she is not living in the soup kitchen or shelter. That's not her experience, so I understand keeping herself apart from it. But I do think she sort of, like, put some distance there, and I wonder if that's, like, some residual shame on her part, trying to seem like a journalist. I don't know. Something I loved about Peek Into the Past, something I hated about Peek Into the Past. 1. The Peek Into the Past speculates about kids' future. And their future for her during the war does not involve getting married. And I was like, kudos to you guys. Your future doesn't, like, kind of pivot to her, like, domestic future. It's like she might be in the, um, she might be a nurse. She might be, I don't know if they say she's going to be in the waves or, like, something like that. Or a journalist working for a war correspondent. And I loved that. I was like, thank you for making her future totally divorced from any kind of romantic possibility because she's 10 years old. Like, and also thinking about, like, there's a great illustration when she goes in the newsroom and she sees, there's a woman typing away at the typewriter. And it's like, that's beautiful. Like, we can see her future. Great. Thing I hated about Peek Into the Past. um, We talk about the Nazis at the end. Do you know where I'm going with this? Hitler persecuted suspect. certain groups or treated them harshly and unfairly. Among these groups were Jewish people, gypsies, Jehovah Witnesses, and others who politics and lifestyles he did not agree with. I'm sorry, but we keep doing this in these Picking into the Past. Like, please stop decentering Jewish people from the Holocaust. Like, why are we doing this? Yes, many groups were persecuted, but I think it's not an exaggeration to say that Jewish people were the central focus of the Holocaust. So it's very upsetting to me that in these books... That they would casually attempt to do like a we're gonna try to reference everybody instead of being like, This is what it was.
0: It's written in such a way so um lifestyles he did not agree with. Like there are certain kinds of things where it's like, Oh, I don't know that I would put wallpaper there. So
1: that <laughs> yeah. that is not
0: that is not what we're talking about. Right.
1: Thank you, yes.
0: And you can see in the photo opposite, and I think this is where, like, these are intended to be nationalist books, like, not just right. patriotic, but nationalist. Japanese pilots took this photo of their attack on the U.S. Army base next to Pearl Harbor. After the attack, America declared war. Like, it's a photo of an attack on a place, and you can see, like, billowing clouds And then uh, what actually stuck out to me was by the time of the Great Depression and World War II ended, Americans were ready for peace, prosperity, and stability. (laughs) It's like, right, that's why they immediately waged war with Korea and then partition efforts all throughout Southeast Asia. I do think that they really just wanted to get World War II in here, and I think that that was actually like not necessarily where we needed to end with this i've been really impressed overall with the world books and i read the entirety of the kits world book and liked what it did a lot better than the peek of the past mm. i think sometimes there's like word limits here they're trying to get certain vocabulary in right like the word persecute specifically they're trying to get allies in here there's such a huge difference sometimes in the American girl world. We got such a profound sense of the inner life of a character like Rebecca Rubin. And then it does feel like a bit of a backslide to read something like this peek into the past where I, I do think the word genocide would have been appropriate there. And I think that yep. it could have been defined and it could have been put in a much more blunt way so that people understand the seriousness I actually think if you, you know, kind of go way back to when we talked to Leah Sauter about what Americans would have known, it would have been such a great moment to say, like, as someone working in a journalist space who cares about newspapers, yes. what would Kit have known as a young aspiring adult? Maybe she would have been a war correspondent, but maybe she would have already been reading about anti-Semitism in the papers. Yeah, that was something different they could have done there. I also think they were trying to like avoid the debate as to whether the depression ended because of the war, where they're like, it probably did. And here's <laughs> some ladies with NRA tattoos on their back. Oh my some god! Some people didn't like it, but it was basically good. Sun, and... sun
1: tan tattoos. I was like, are
0: you what? Okay, well that's before like skin cancer knowledge was as pervasive as it is yeah, today. Yeah, but... but we also have like a social security card. This this is the grab basket. The Changes book almost always does this, where it's like, would you possibly believe all these things that happened at one time? Yes. The book is filled with nuance. The peek into the past, like, throws it's a bunch not. of sprinkles out. I encourage people, as always, like, check out Living New Deal. That's a really good resource. It's where I learned some stuff about Glacier for our previous episode. But Living New Deal is just a wonderful reminder of, like, what happens when civic engagement and, like, real funding into infrastructure come together. I just want to believe that Kit did a lot of amazing things. And if you've written cool Kit fan fiction, I don't know, send it to us.
1: Oh my god, I would love to read some Kit fan fiction, and I would love to hear from people too, like in your fan fiction or wherever. Like, where do you think Kit's life goes? Like, I'm, I think she's one of the most exciting characters to think about her future, and I think that's what like kind of like upset me about Peek into the past, amongst other. I mean, by definition, as you're saying, it's like a we didn't start the fire enterprise where they're like this, 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 and then this happened, and then World War Two, and you're like, uh, what? But, I mean, I would just love to know, like, where is she going? Like, do you have a vision of her future? Do you have your own fanfic you could share with us, like, a vision? You know, part of me has this,
0: like, beautiful vision of Kit where she gets to do something like join the wax or the waves. And then this other part of me, to be quite serious for a second, like, she's so close in age to my grandmother. And thinking about the fact that, like, Kit really would have been lucky if things continued to go as they had been for her family to finish high school. And Mm -hmm. Kit really would have been lucky to not be forced into factory work. Mm -hmm. And I don't say that to just kind of immediately be a downer, but thinking of the financial reality of that family probably not getting better for a long time. Like Charlie may have maxed out the CCC opportunities. And I do appreciate that his college education got cut short I would want to believe that Kit would probably have to take the most lucrative job she could get, which might have been a war job. And it might have been in a factory and it may not have been writing. Like, that would be really cool. But probability-wise, she may have been stuck doing that. And it may have been Ruthie who got to do something cooler because her dad is rich and connected.
1: I mean, it's true. Like, you're, it's a downer thought, but it's a real thought that that's probably what happened here. I mean, I think we keep hoping for... Something that would take her away or like give her a, a better future Like when we were talking about uncle Hendrick before and him modeling how to write a letter to the editor I was thinking in a way like he was like if Kit is Joan Didion He's her Hemingway like Joan Didion obsessively read Hemingway stories and like mapped them to figure out how to how a story worked or how a sentence worked and I kind of thought like uncle Hendrick was doing that for Kit And Joan Didion, of course, like, won a scholarship or, like, won a contest to then move across the country and work at Vogue, and that kind of, like, started her writing career, and it's like, I would love something like that for Kit, but, you know, as you're saying, is that really in the cards? Or to play, like, in the women's baseball league during World War II, she's the right age. I don't know, but I mean, maybe she just does that after work, after working at the factory for fun, not playing in the official league, but pick up baseball. Who can say? I
0: don't know. Let's say factory work, baseball, and picking up ladies. I think that's like a good compromise of like reality and our aspirations for kids
1: always yes that's always aspirational yeah but wow I'm just sad that this series ended like kudos to Valerie Tripp like speaking about somebody learning a lesson I feel like she we've witnessed her grow in terms of her awareness as a writer about like certain things that she missed in say the Felicity books and I think that she's showing greater awareness here and you know my hat's off to her and
0: we are not done. We are going to nope. do our full coverage of the Kit Kittredge movie. We also like, I would give this book a gold medal and a gold star. Wow. I am also going to give a gold medal to our upcoming Patreon episode, which will be about Allison Goes for the Gold, a magic attic book. And. We have a kind of surprise coming in January with a different podcast that we collaborated with, and they sent us some old Magic Addict catalog scans, which were really kind of earth-shattering. Like, I felt a seismic shift within myself. I don't want to say anymore because I want people to join us for that episode. That is one of, like, a few cool things that we have going on with Patreon. So, Really looking forward to that a lot.
1: Yeah, please join us there. We have a great discord community and we do all kinds of hangouts and just like, it's a great place to kind of sit and talk all day, even if you're at work, like low key about pop culture, all kinds of stuff, American Girl and otherwise. And we had a great PowerPoint party on Taylor Swift a couple of weeks ago, hoping to do more of those. Like we, it's a really fun place to be on the internet, one of the few kind places. And um, so we'll hopefully be announcing our schedule for next year's Patreon episodes. You know in the next month or so but it's it's a really exciting place to be i'm very grateful for it
0: and this is not even a plug i also saw kind of a silly like a funny TikTok that was like you know things are like going strange for a straight woman when she's like on discord for a man discord is not for men like our discord wow. i think is such a wonder well it can be for it men is. like somewhere else but yes our discord is like really genuinely welcoming to everyone and you know, looking at, like, I've seen a few people comment, like, I don't know where to start, is actually a lot more intuitive than you would think. And you can please feel free to message us directly if you're feeling like you're not sure what to do. The first time you look at all of those channels kind of lit up on our Discord, you might think, I don't know where to begin. It's like Reddit, except you only read and converse with, like, cool, fun people who also actually want to have a conversation. So, I just want to give a quick plug to that, that it really is a welcoming, like, low-threshold place, and you don't need to feel uh, daunted by it. And if you do, just reach out to someone, and you can kind of get, like, a Sherpa to assist you with
1: your journey into Discord. And I would say there's a general thread and an introduction thread, and what I really love seeing, and this is how beautiful this community is, if you show up on the introduction thread and just say, like, hi, I'm Mary, I love Murder, She Wrote, whatever, like, I'm a Molly... People who are not us are going to be so excited to welcome you to that space and then direct you to channels that they think you might like. Like if you're like, I'm from DC, there's a very active meetup group in DC, like shout out to them. And, you know, like they'll invite you to their hangouts and all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, it's a really cool space. And what's make what makes it so cool is like people take it upon themselves to be great kind of stewards of the community. So just shout out to everyone who's ever welcomed someone like that's very cool to see.
0: And if people want to reach out to us directly, you can do that on Twitter at Dolls Lives Pod. We are also on Instagram Dolls of Our
1: Lives Podcast. Mary, if people want to find you, where should they do that? I would prefer you find me on Instagram, (laughs) at Mimi Mahoney, so feel free to DM me. I just caught up the other day, but I always write back to everybody and um yeah love having conversations about like literally anything Allison what about you I'm
0: at Allison Horrocks on Twitter and Instagram you can feel free to find me there maybe I have an old Pinterest or something I I don't know but those are the best places to find me as of right now and you can also direct message us on discord so we would love to see you
1: there Excellent. So thanks everyone so much for all of your support. We're so grateful for this community and uh, we will see you on our next episode.